Well, what are you like at waiting? Waiting in a queue to get into the shops now? Waiting for an Amazon package? Waiting for the results to a test? Waiting for a reply on WhatsApp? We're not good at waiting. We, we live in a culture of immediacy. Amazon means that you can order a parcel and it's on your doorstep the very same day. Netflix means that you can queue up your favourite episodes so you don't need to wait at all. We expect immediate replies on emails and social media and it's consuming. If you sat on WhatsApp waiting to see the blue ticks, waiting to see if someone's read a message, you'll know that feeling. Have they read it? They've read it. They haven't replied. What are they thinking? They're typing. What are they going to say? We forget how to tolerate uncertainty. We're used to instant actions and instant answers. And this year, year of COVID has taught us to tolerate some level of uncertainty. But I wonder as you look back across the year, as June the 21st looms, what you'd say you've learned, what God has taught you. I don't know if you remember the programme, A Child of Our Time, or maybe more recently, you've seen Secret Life of Four and Five-Year-Olds. Slightly different programmes, but similar in that they track the lives of children growing up and they look at their circumstances and their family, their heritage, some of what's going on in their life at the moment, and they make some observations. They'll, through the programme, share information on child psychology and brain function. It's quite interesting. One of the things that I've seen the model is something called the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. Essentially, a child sat at a table, an adult comes in and puts some kind of sweet treat on the table in front of them. They give the child pretty clear instructions. You're not to eat the sweet treat until I come back. They leave the room and they tell the child, when I come back, if you've not touched it, you can have double the treat. So the adult leaves the room with the child sat with the treat in front of them. And inevitably, it doesn't take long for the child to think they're not coming back. I might as well eat it. Or oh, it's going to be ages till that adult comes back. I might as well eat it. Or probably more accurately for a lot of us, oh, that cake looks really nice. I might as well eat it. Now, the idea of the experiment it, is it gives maybe some indicator of a child's cognitive ability, because apparently the clearer they're able to think about the instructions, the more likely they are to listen to them and to wait for the reward. They say clearer thinking changes their behaviour while they wait. Now, Peter, he's writing to encourage clear thinking while waiting. Peter, he's, he's writing to help. Remember what he says that we've looked at in the last few weeks, verse one of chapter three. It's my second letter. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. 
like in the really trivial cake example, I want you to think rightly about the situation you're in. Look at verse two. I want you to remember the words of God's promise and instruction. I don't want you to forget them. I don't want you to think they're not important at this moment. I don't want you to think they don't apply to your situation. I don't want you to be more enticed by other people's situation or what's going on around you, what they say. No. Remember, all through his letter, Peter, he's concerned with the truth the absolute inarguable truth that stands up to reason, that's evidenced in God's word, that's spoken by the prophets, that speaks of false teachers, that rejects them. We're talking about the truth, the absolute truth. Now, why is it that Peter needs to give these warnings? Well, we're going to see this evening the lie, the truth, and the implication. The lie, what, what people are saying at the time, what people still say today, the truth, what's the real truth and the implication? How does it change things? Well, here's the lie. Look at verse three. In the last days, scoffers will come. The last days is a period of time spoken of in the Bible of between when Jesus ascended back to heaven and when he will return to gather his people. So Peter writes in the last days, and we're now in the last days. Look at verse four. What will these scoffers say? They'll say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Well, what's the lie in the question? Where is this coming, he promised? Do you see, there's no intention of having that question answered. Jesus has promised he will return. When he does, he will judge. And he'll gather those people who have put their trust in him to take them to be with him forever. But you see, the false teachers at the time, they're saying, where is he? Where is this coming? Where is Jesus? And it's a deliberate misleading. It's an undermining of the truth. Remember the question of the snake in the Garden of Eden? Did God really say? See the question? It's enticing. It's promoting the lie. It's undermining the truth. Here's what the lie is. Where is this coming? He promised. The lie is Jesus isn't coming back. And you see what the lie is saying? God's not doing anything. God doesn't care. He's not active. Jesus isn't coming back. He's not going to judge. He doesn't care how his people act. It doesn't matter how you act. When we believe the lie that Jesus isn't coming back, we see two things happen. Look at verse five. Deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water. See, when you choose to believe the lie, you're actively forgetting that God is unchanging, 
consistent and keeps his word. When we do that, we try and rob God of his character. It inevitably changes the way that we think and feel about him. Do you fall into the trap of thinking God's not doing anything? In this past year, are you in danger of thinking God doesn't care? Do you fail to remember that he's completely consistent in character? He will perfectly keep every single one of his promises. Because the danger is if we forget those things, not only will it rob us of joy and confidence, but it will inevitably lead to what happens in verse three. People following their own evil desires. See, when we don't wait well, we don't think wholesomely. And look, believing the lie that Jesus isn't coming back, it's probably going to be pretty subtle. It's very unlikely that you'll wake up one day and think, well, Jesus isn't coming back, so I might as well rob a bank. It sounds ridiculous. But you see, when we don't think clearly, we might slowly buy into the lie. We'll think it doesn't matter what we do today. If Jesus isn't coming back, what matters is here and now. You'll invest time and money and become obsessive in your profession, your hobby, your image, your family life. You'll ultimately follow your own desires because if Jesus isn't coming back then it doesn't matter and those good things will become ultimate things relationships sport work gifts treats but when we forget that God cares about what we do with them when we forget that they're temporary and Jesus is coming back we'll get them all wrong Here's the lie. Jesus isn't coming back. But here's the truth that Peter gives us. Look at verse eight. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. Maybe that's a bit confusing. You might think, oh, yeah, I get that. I look back on the last year and I think that's gone really quickly and really slowly at the same time. This year, it felt like it would never end. And now it's almost over in a flash. Maybe you can think of days this year you were scratching around for things to do. You couldn't feel the, t- fill the time. You were bored. You couldn't get your head around how slow life had become. And I'm sure in a few months time, we'll look back and say, that year flew by. Why didn't I just relax and enjoy that added time I had? Why didn't I just enjoy something that was different about that year? But you see, that's not what verse eight is saying. It's not how we understand time. Read it again with me, verse eight. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years 
and a thousand years are like a day. See, there's two big contributing factors in our experience of time. One is what we can achieve in a space of time. You'll have felt that on a very busy day of work or at home. If you've got a lot to do in a day, it goes by quickly. You get to the end of the day and you think, where has that time gone? I've not finished all I needed to do and it's gone so quickly. I'm barely halfway through my list of jobs. Our experience of time has something to do with what we can achieve. And another contributing factor is how sure we are of whether something's going to happen. See, when we're not sure when we might see our family again, it feels like a lifetime. When we're not sure when we're going to be able to go to the gym or the pub or go out for a meal, see friends, go round to a friend's house. It's difficult. It feels like a lifetime because we're not sure when it's going to happen, whether it's going to happen. But you see, those two things, they're not the same with God. God is not in a hurry. He's not worried about what he can achieve in a day. No, one day is like a thousand years. He can achieve all that he needs to. He's not uncertain about what's going to happen. God's not in a hurry. And he's not uncertain about what's going to happen. He's not unsure if he'll deliver on his promises. Those things aren't unsure to him. No, a thousand years are like a day. He will do it. It doesn't matter if it's in a thousand thousand years or a day's time. He is 100% guaranteed to deliver on every single one of his promises. You see, even 2,000 years is the tiniest, tiniest proportion of eternity. You see, God's not bored. He's not dragging his feet. He doesn't need more time. And he's not unsure of whether or not Jesus might come back or when. It's not about what he can or cannot do. It's not about what he does or doesn't feel. But look at verse nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, people say clearly God doesn't care about what's going on, otherwise he'd do something about it. Clearly, God doesn't care, otherwise Jesus would have come back by now already. But no, look at verse 9. He's patient, slow to anger, and abounding in love. That's what he is. Jesus has not yet returned because people are still being saved from eternity without all the goodness of God to an eternity in a loving relationship with him forever. Here's the truth, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth, and everything done in it will be laid bare. The truth is, Peter says, Jesus is coming back, and it will be like a thief. I know that some of you have had thieves in your house at night, maybe, while you've been there, maybe. And it's an uncomfortable thought. It's intrusive. You can't help but think, was I there? Was I asleep? Where were the kids? Were they safe? How did they get in? What time was it? What were we doing? What would have just happened if they'd come up the stairs? Where did they go? What did they look at? What did they take? Where's that gone? And you're left thinking. But that's just the thing you're not sure. See, if thieves gave you a 10 minute warning, you'd only go down and double deadlock your door, lock your windows. You'd make sure it didn't happen. But that's just the thing. It will be a shock to some people. Jesus is coming back. One minute people will be eating breakfast, sleeping, working, running. And the next, the world will be brought to an end. There will be people who have said their whole lives, I'll think about trusting Jesus when I'm old. I'll think about trusting Jesus when my health deteriorates. There'll be people who say Jesus isn't coming back that are caught out. And look at verse 10. This is why it matters, the end of verse 10. Everything done in it will be laid bare. To be laid bare means there'll be no blagging it. Nothing will be hidden. There'll be no pretense. There'll be no way of pretending. Nothing will stay in the secret of your own home or room. You will not fool anyone. Everything will be laid bare. When Jesus returns, there'll be one thing that matters, our standing before God. And Peter, he's already made clear that there'll only be one way that we can have a right standing before God. If we have trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, it's him who calls us to trust in him. It's him who gives us everything we need. We can't prepare for that day by ourselves. So maybe you're listening in and you wouldn't say you trust in Jesus. You must know that this day is coming. And Peter says the only way you'll enter heaven is by choosing to follow Jesus. And Peter, as he writes to people who have trusted in Jesus, he writes to say, this is why it matters. This is what it means. This is the implication. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Jesus is coming back. Live like it. It's the opposite of all the lies. Jesus is coming back, so it really does matter how you act. Jesus is coming back, so God really cares about what's going on in this world. Jesus is coming back, so God really cares about you. 
what kind of people ought you to be? Verse 11, you ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. You see, this is wholesome thinking that motivates godliness. When we think clearly about what the Lord Jesus has done, when we think clearly about what the Lord Jesus is going to do as he returns, we recognise what our life is about. And Jesus will return and he will take those who trust in him to be in a place where righteousness dwells. See, if you trust in Jesus this evening, that is your certain destination, perfectly at home with God. Peter says, live like it. Live like that is your certain destination. Live as the person you've been transformed to be. Do you see the end of verse 14? Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Maybe that sounds like we've got to do something, but do you see? Make every effort to be found as the person you already are. Make every effort to be found as the things that the Lord Jesus achieves for people. Make every effort to live as the person you now are. I'm sure you're familiar with the silly phrase, Jesus is coming back, look busy. I don't, I don't know why I associate it with Homer Simpson, but that's exactly the question. It's exactly like the question that we heard this evening. It undermines the truth of Jesus' return. Here's the thing. Jesus is going to return. There is no doubt about it. It will happen. And whether you believe it or not, the thought of it is petrifying. So petrifying that it, it makes people want to be someone else. It makes people want to look good enough or blag it or, in those words, look busy. But here's where the challenge from this evening's passage is remarkable. It's not be someone you're not. It's not Jesus is coming back, be someone you're not. There's no point telling someone who doesn't trust in Jesus to try and be holy and godly. There is no way. We cannot possibly try as hard as we, as we like to be something we're not. But if we trust in Jesus, in him, we are holy. In him, that's who we now are. And so that's who we are called to be. Here's the big implication of how we're to act. We're to act with godliness in light of Jesus' coming. Verse 12 says holy and godly. Verse 17 says spotless and blameless. What does it mean? It means to give God every area of life. It means to live in light of the change that's now happened in us 
It means to act with godly character in every situation. It means to have a right and good reverent fear of God because the truth will transform every area of life. And we, as we're transformed to be more and more like the Lord Jesus, we'll look forward to his return. We'll see that it really matters how we live. Because if Jesus has given his life for the sake of your freedom, and he's coming back to take you to be with him forever, and he could be back any time, then there's no greater joy than to use that freedom to choose to honour God with our decision, to choose to enjoy life today as it was designed to be. And when we see that Jesus is coming back, and we know it's definitive, it will happen, we'll view time a little bit more like God in verse 10. It will cause us to both hurry up and slow down. It'll cause us to hurry up, have a real urgency about life. It's important to turn to God before it's too late. The, the single most important thing is in life is being found in Christ when he returns. That shapes every area of life and gives us every motivation that when we trusted in him to become more and more like him, to tackle sin to get rid of our old ways, our old life that don't belong anymore because Jesus is coming back. It should give us an absolute ruthlessness in our battle with sin because that's not who we are if we trust in Jesus and he's coming back to get us. And it'll give us a real urgency as we seek to share that same message with our friends, our people that we deeply care about that don't yet trust in it because Jesus is coming back and people will get caught out. Jesus will return and he will judge, but he hasn't yet. So our friends still have time to trust in his, this message that they and we desperately need. See, it should cause us to hurry up, live like today is the last day, but it'll cause us to slow down slow down there's, there's no need to wish away every moment we don't need to rush away rush around our life to the things that we perceive to be important there's a real call not to just wish away our circumstances i wonder if you've done that this year furlough family time work time odd jobs wishing away the time rushing around to something more important god calls us to be faithful with the time he's given us one of the things you hear sports people who've had careers cut short through injury sometimes say after having retired looking back on their last match or race sometimes they say if i just realized that had been my last race. If I just realised that had been my last match, I'd have lapped it up. I'd have savoured every moment. You see, if we spend our lives chasing after moments, achievements, projects that may or may not happen in the future, we'll spend our time wishing away every moment that gets in the way of those things. We'll wish away weekends or family time or sleep if we're chasing jobs 
but when we live in the light of the Lord Jesus's return, we'll savor each moment because it matters how you live. Because if you trust in Jesus, you've been transformed by the Lord Jesus and he is coming back. Your experience of time doesn't need to depend on the probability of getting a pay rise or or, or a, a house move coming through, a promotion at work, finding a partner. It doesn't need to rest on those things. Your experience of time is fundamentally based on a 100% nailed on event. Jesus's return. When we see life in the context of Jesus coming back, it means we can do everything in light of that. You can eat your breakfast and say, taste and see that the Lord is good. And in that moment, you're getting ready for an eternity of eating breakfast, experiencing God's goodness. There's a call to slow down and enjoy God and his goodness as we prepare for eternity because the Lord Jesus is coming back. Peter says, Jesus is coming back. Live like it. Live as the person you've been transformed to be if you trust in Jesus. Battle sin ruthlessly because it really matters how you act. Share the good news of the gospel urgently because people desperately need to hear it. Wait patiently because it is 100% sure that God will deliver on every single one of his promises and enjoy God peacefully because he's transformed us to enjoy and experience life in the way that it was designed, created to be. Jesus is coming back. Are you living like it? Let's pray. Father, please, would you help us? Help us to live in light of the sure fact that Jesus is coming back. Lord, help us to have an absolute joy in the gospel, trusting our Lord Jesus' work is effective for us. Lord, would that transform every moment? Would it transform the way that we see our life and our experiences? Would it transform the way that we interact with our family, our friends, our church family? Would it shape the way that we go about life? Lord, would we look forward to the day the Lord Jesus comes back with eager anticipation? Because we can be absolutely sure that because of what he's done, we'll go to be with him. Amen.